You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Good morning, rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Hope that you had a nice weekend, holiday weekend. Welcome back. I was thinking over the weekend about Dolly Madison when she made the American flag. People were probably saying, you know, saying, well, what should we do? What, What should the flag look like? I can imagine Dolly Madison asking John Adams and George Washington and all those guys, well, you know, how should I do the stars on the flag? And I can really see George Washington just responding back saying, just spangle them bitches. We got caps to pop and bodies to drop. Welcome to the Wake Up America show. My next guest is the man that they named the Stars and Stripes after. He is Spangle. Joining us now, Chris Spangle on the show. He's the host of the Chris Spangle show himself. He's joining us now. Good morning, Chris. Nice to see you, brother. Austin, it's great to be with you. And, uh, you know, your history is more accurate than the New York Times. What can I say? I'm really proud of you. <laughs> How's that for uh, just making up an intro on the fly right there? Uh, Chris, well, uh, I've got a baby due. Uh, well, my wife has a baby due in like two weeks. I've just did two minutes of work. She's done all the hard work. But uh, everyone wants us to name this child Star. And it's not going to happen, but it's a good thought. Uh, well, how about Apple? Or you could pull a page out of uh, Penn Gillette's playbook and call him Moxie Crime Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of bad suggestions, you know, like McKinsley, <laughs> oh, <laughs> other names. That sounds like somebody who would enjoy pumpkin spice and Uggs. <laughs> Just dressing our baby in beige with flat-brimmed hats, posting them on Instagram. <laughs> Uh, Chris, we're grateful to have you here. I hope that you had a nice holiday weekend. Looking forward to the birth of your child. Congratulations, by the way, on being a dad. Um, uh, Tell us, uh, Chris, I mean, you're somebody who I've known for a a long time, going way back. I think my very first job in the Libertarian Party in 2008, you and I had conversations. We we spoke on the phone when you were in Indianapolis and I was in D.C. So we've been in this fight for a long time. So you're somebody who really knows politics on an intimate level, um, and not just Libertarian Party politics, but national level politics, because like like me, you were a big Ron Paul fan, and so you sort of know the inner workings of the Republican Party, too, when we fought to try and help get Ron Paul to become the presidential candidate, which I think there's probably a lot of Republicans now that wish they, they had pulled that vote back in the days of Romney and uh, McCain, et cetera, et cetera. If I can add to to your introduction, I mean, I became a libertarian because I was a Republican, and uh, I'd love to be a Republican, but I've never felt that they have reformed themselves in any meaningful sense. And in 2008, I was a reporter for a local news talk station, and they pulled 300 delegates out of the Indiana State Convention that were Ron Paul fans to prevent them from going to D.C., or, or to the National Convention, I should say. And, you know, one big muckety-muck in the Republican Party a few years later told me that was their biggest mistake, is that was what lit the Tea Party on fire here in Indiana. Andy Horning had the first Tea Party in 2007 uh, in a property tax revolt, which led to Rick Santelli kind of kicking it off. I mean, you know, uh, it, it was it was a huge mistake, and they've never learned from it. And, you know, if they had learned the lessons of Ron Paul and become more libertarian, I don't think that they'd have the problems that they have now. No, I agree with you, Chris, but it has been strange to see the dark turn that the Republican Party has 
taken after the Tea Party years, which really gave me a lot of hope. And now we, I saw that the Heritage Foundation was trending this morning, uh, uh, calling out Biden for the debt stealing deal and saying that they need to get more concessions. This is just three weeks after the Heritage Foundation came out and said, oh, well, we think capitalism and free markets really do actually need to be regulated a little bit, you know, because they're trying to jump on the new, the new trend of anti-capitalist republicanism that's out there. Um, but speaking of anti-capitalist republicanism, I'd like to ask you about the DeSantis versus Trump race. Is it a surprise to you to see Donald Trump running to the left of Ron DeSantis in this race? Uh, no. I I knew, I mean, I was always very critical and took a lot of crap, even though I'm completely right, uh, in 2020, saying that Donald Trump is completely responsible for uh, the lockdowns and two stimulus packages uh, and wrote the third and negotiated. You can, you can Google this article. Donald Trump was critical of the third stimulus package when he was president because Nancy Pelosi didn't make it big enough. And Donald Trump is responsible largely for our inflation. Yeah, you can say the the infrastructure bill contributed. It certainly did. But when you look at the inflation that we've been suffering under, that was all architect by the president of the United States. The guy who had hired the CDC and FDA directors was Donald Trump at the time. Donald Trump bowed down, and Ron DeSantis' criticism is completely right when he let – he just – Bent over and let Fauci control the country. I still have the postcard somewhere uh, uh, in from March 2020 that says Trump's uh, COVID plans, right? Like, when Donald Trump came out and gave a press conference and said, these are my plans for shutting down the economy, and now let me step aside and let Fauci uh, give his plan for what we ought to do, you know, Donald Trump completely failed in his major test of leadership and then about three months into it realized he was making a big mistake and started becoming the anti-covid candidate and nobody bought it because they all had gotten the postcards they all had gotten trump's you know remember the first checks were delayed because donald trump had to put his name on them you know so that criticism (laughs) of from desantis is totally correct and I do think Donald Trump is completely mystified. I mean, I think, if anything, in this segment, we're going to talk about basically p- populism versus principles. And I think uh, a lot of the populists over the last five years have tried to retrofit principles, you know, the f- first uh, things guys and Sora Bamari and, and a lot of libertarians are doing this. You know, they're flirting with Robert Kennedy Jr., who would put the Koch brothers in jail. Uh, but it's all under the guise of principle. You know, the the populist wing of the Libertarian and Republican parties try to retrofit principles, but they've really lost sight of it. I know you have taken heat for the non-aggression principle, but I think libertarians in the movement have kind of lost sight of the NAP as sort of a baseline for things, um, which is why we all looked at the COVID restrictions and said, this is completely against our principles. We're all against this. Anybody who is for shutting down playgrounds or forced vaccinations is not a libertarian, and they were completely right. You know, if you're restricting the freedom of movement, you're not a libertarian. Like, I know the circumstances are tough, but the government doesn't have that right. Why don't they have that right? Because they were initiating force against people's free conscience. So, you know, when you look at the the warp speed, for instance— Donald Trump rightly is sort of mystified by the fact that he gets booed when he says he came up with warp speed. I think it's uh, 
you you can look at the the vaccine and say, look, this did protect a lot of people. And he can say this was good, but then you can also say a lot of people were forced into it through coercion, through the work, through the government, uh, and all that happened under Donald Trump's watch. Like, it was initiated under Donald Trump's watch. That's why he's getting booed, and he he doesn't have the ability to think critically about his performance because everything he does, does is the best, right? So... He he will probably beat DeSantis despite being a big government Republican and to the left of Ron DeSantis and some of these other candidates because of memes. That's why he won in May 16. You know, when Donald Trump goes out there and you go, you know, and then you got Joe Biden, this guy, he doesn't know anything. Uh, 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 and he's wandering around the stage <laughs> and then it gets shared several million times on kind of the meme pages he's hilarious. it's hilarious he's, he's funny he is the funniest stand-up comedian working right now sorry dave Chappelle. you know <laughs> and people love it and they share it and they sort of miss a time you know pre-2020 when things were pretty good and things are very bad and people rightly blame joe biden for a lack of leadership and a lack of coherence uh and ron DeSantis, i think is kind of a you know, old pudding fingers. You know, it's it's how Trump def- defeated every Republican against all the odds in 2016 with, you know, Lil Marco and, you know, sleepy Joe Biden. And, and we love that stuff. We love that. Right. What was Jeb? Low energy Jeb. I mean, that just destroyed Jeb Bush. People. Um, Remember when he made fun of Rand Paul's hair looking like spaghetti on his head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Trump is just a funny guy. And Republicans have gotten themselves into a place where it's not about principle. It's really about how can they make the left cry. And every time you hear a Republican or conservative or libertarian commentator talk about the left, you know they've sort of lost their brain. Like they're, they, they have abandoned principle in order to defeat an enemy, a perceived enemy, because they spend too much time on Twitter. And uh, Donald Trump plays into that mindset of the base very, very well, even though Ron DeSantis and I'm not arguing for Ron DeSantis like I'm I'm a firm libertarian. I would never vote for Ron DeSantis. But when you look at the record of Donald Trump and you look at the record of Ron DeSantis, you as a conservative Republican voter, uh, you'd go, well, this guy actually has some achievements and is the same in terms of kind of taking on the media and taking on the people we don't like, but it doesn't work because Ron DeSantis just doesn't have that same meme factor. He doesn't walk out and hug the flag, you know, and I think he's really got a <laughs> and tough act race. ridiculous, right? Yeah. No, you're right, Chris. I agree with everything that you said. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. Glad to have you here. Make sure you smash that like button and subscribe to the channel to help us spread the message of economic freedom and personal liberty. My current guest right now is Chris Spangle. He's the host of the Chris Spangle Show. He's joining us right now talking about DeSantis versus Trump. Uh, yeah, no, you're right about the whole principle thing because the the chief criticism that I'm hearing of uh, Ron DeSantis from Trump supporters is one, that DeSantis isn't sufficiently loyal because he, without DeSantis, he never, without Trump, he would have never been the governor. Maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. Um, but, and then the other one is, is that they just find Ron DeSantis to be boring, 
right? As if that is a disqualify, disqualification for President of the United States. Right. I remember when people used to disqualify Ron Paul because they're like, he just sounds so, so crashy. He just sounds like an angry old band, blah, blah, blah. But this is why, this is how people choose their candidates. They're, they're picking candidates for the sort of um, gladiatorial arena, right? That's, that's why they're picking their candidates. But frankly, Ron DeSantis, he has, he, he's, his record when he was voting in the legislature Fairly libertarian. I wouldn't say Thomas Massey levels, but pretty close. Yeah, I think all these guys have changed, though. You know, I mean, Massey has stuck to his principles. Rand Paul has stuck to his principles, although they have at times bended those principles to go along to get along. Ron Paul did that. You know, he was a big pork barrel spender saying, look, it's going to go back to the executive branch. They're going to spend it. So I might as well spend it on my district so I can get reelected. Um, you know, you look at Rand Paul's endorsements of people like Roy Moore and you just go, what are you doing? You know, um, but there, there's a certain level to go along to get along. But I think Ron DeSantis, you know, I look at the, the Disney fight and the punishment of a business for having an opinion he doesn't like. And you just go, all right, this guy's not the same libertarian leaning guy that he was 10 years ago. Because it's not in fashion to be a libertarian in the Republican Party anymore. You know, there was a brief moment, I think, where, you know, it started out with, um, you know, Milton Friedman. All, all of the conservative movement kind of got its intellectual heft from Hayek. So Hayek comes along and gives intellectual weight to the anti-FDR movement. And all of the people who kind of developed their political philosophy in the 40s, 50s, 60s, like Ronald Reagan, like Margaret Thatcher, all looked at Milton Friedman, all looked at Hayek and said, okay, here is a person that is serious, that is taking on Keynesian economics, taking on the New Deal, and, uh, you know, Thatcher famously holding up the Constitution of Liberty by F.A. Hayek, this uh, free market economist, and going, this is our Bible, this is what we need to do. Ronald Reagan saying the heart of conservatism is libertarianism. Now, they meant it minus the non-intervention part. It's really Ron Paul and the paleoconservative wing that interjected that piece to it. And now that has become the predominant piece. I mean, you look at people like Dave Smith and Scott Horton promoting Robert Kennedy Jr., who would put, uh, who said on video, I'd put the Koch brothers in jail for disagreeing with me on, um, you know, uh, uh, climate change, which is the exact same mentality as locking somebody up for disagreeing on vaccines. And they're promoting him and saying, well, he's right on the right things. Well, you, you're picking and choosing what's right, right? You, you're, you've got to stay to a principle, which is if you're initiating force against other people through the government to coerce change, then you're immoral. Um, you know, and so we, we've kind of unmoored ourselves in the libertarian and conservative movements from basic libertarian principles because of fashion. People want to wear the right fashion. Yes. They want to look good That's on right. Twitter. And they are it's willing, true. you know. I, I will never forget, I will never forget, Chris, going to CPAC in like 2010 at the height of the Tea Party and seeing normies wearing Rand Paul shirts and just thinking to myself, oh my God, like, this is this is it. This is this is how you win. But I mean, you could tell that they, you know, this was before the word NPCs was out there. But I mean, you could tell they were all just NPCs, but they were just wearing the Rand Paul shirts because they wanted to fit in. Few people were as disliked as you, AP. I mean, how did you and I, uh, <laughs> pro-life, former Republican, 
Glenn Beck libertarians end up on the left wing of the libertarian party somehow, you know? And then, and then like, the drop-off from you and me on the left wing is down to, like, you know, legitimate socialist libertarians. And that's only happened in, like, the last three or four years, you know? But it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's because people are looking at it through fashion. They look at Chris Spangle, they look at Austin Peterson, and they go, well, because these people are not populist, because these people look at the, the things from a more pragmatic view and aren't totally sold on things like the Mises Caucus being an effective organization, they must be leftists. You know, that's why I've never liked Michael Heiss, because he has actively tried to say that we are libertarians and the whole brand is left. Well, no, I just don't buy that Hans, uh, that Hoppe and the um, autocratic view of libertarianism, the, the view that Orban is a plus for liberty, is real, and so that gets you branded a leftist now, and and the Republicans have their own version. If you're not in on the cult of personality on Trump, you're not with us, and it it, it well, affects everybody. Is that they'll is that like the Republicans on and the populist quote unquote right in the Republican Party openly advocate for socialistic policies, right? And then they have the nerve, the gall to call other, call other people socialists. But let, let's narrow this down here and, and talk about it since you brought it up, Michael Heiss and the Mises Caucus the other day. I was watching a video, and frequently when I watch Dave Smith's videos, he's usually very funny, and I agree with a lot of the things that he said. But the other day I was listening to a, a video that somebody posted of him unironically that where he was saying that, well, minarchism, he's like, Joseph Stalin is a minarchist. I mean, Bernie Sanders is really a minarchist. And I, I just cringed <laughs> to hear that. I was kind of like... What in the hell are you talking about? And it just struck me as a sort of like of a justification for anarcho-capitalism that really doesn't need to be said. I mean, do you really have to make shit up and try and argue that do you really believe that Joseph Stalin was a minarchist that Bernie Sanders, somebody who believes in limited government for those of you who are tuning in who have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's the night watchman I mean, state. It's the Robert Nozick version of libertarianism where you have a night watchman state where basically the courts are private. Because, you know, my court says your court is illegitimate, then we have a battle. That's why I consider myself a minarchist. You privatize everything down to the courts, and you keep the only allowable um, centralization of force is the courts. That's minarchism. Does that sound like Bernie Sanders? Right. No, it doesn't, and it's it's a little ridiculous. I mean, it's the first time that I've ever heard Dave say something that was kind of a head-scratcher to me, but I think they're really... What what I what it looks as if it is now you've criticized is, the Pope, AP. You're they're going to tell on you. Well, Twitter's going to tell him, do, and then you're going to be called to the principal's office. Do, do you remember? Do you remember? You probably remember like t- ten years ago or something like that when I criticized Ron Paul a little bit, and there was a huge backlash. <laughs> yeah, it was oh, like yeah, this massive. Well, you were stupid about the non-aggression principle, but we all forgave you, man. <laughs> sure. Um, thoughts on post-libertarian Pete Quinones, says Quest Fanning. I don't really know anything about Pete, Pete Quinones, but um, I, I, I just want to get your take on the possibility of Dave Smith for president. I mean, like, everybody says he's going to be the LP guy. I know there's a, a bunch of other people running. I've got a guy coming in tomorrow, Mike Termott, who's coming in. He's a, a libertarian presidential candidate. He actually sounds fairly impressive. But, I mean, how are you feeling about the uh, post-APLP? I... I mean, listen, I'll caveat this, that I had to do homework, because I just don't follow the Libertarian Party anymore, not like I used to. Um, I consider myself a small L Libertarian. I don't really view politics as a mean for change. Uh, I had an experience here producing a podcast over the last four years, where I've gone to basically interview the elite of our city, the movers and shakers of politics, civil society, 
business. You know, none of them have any awareness of the Libertarian Party of Indiana, which is one of the strongest affiliates, um, or how it works. It, it doesn't really make a huge impact. And that kind of unmoored me from the, the, you know, the, I mean, it's a great social club. I love all the people in the Libertarian Party that I've met over the years. I think it's a fun um, exercise. But I will say when you look at the, the opportunity that the Libertarian Party has in 2024 is tremendous. And they're going to completely screw it up. I mean, the, there's always a bump in membership and revenue after a presidential election. We saw a little bit of that, but it was blunted. And now we're just seeing the floor fall out from under the Mises leadership and the leadership of Angela McArdle. Membership is dropping. You know, they're, they're trying to put a positive spin on it. But you've got people like Reed Coverdale, I think his name is. I saw a tweet from him. This is a guy that was all sold on this uh, movement and a part of it. And he's like, you know, we're we're allowing these pro-war, pro-Russian speakers. We're doing these things. Like, what are we doing? You know, they're saying they sound like me in 2018 going, this direction's not good and it's not going to work. Um, you know, you, you, you've been around and you've run for president in the LP. At this point in uh, a year out from the convention, you've always got guys like Mike Tiermont or Lars Mapstead or Joshua Rodriguez, people that you've kind of not heard of. You know, Larry Sharp had a debate and had some of these folks in. You always sort of listen to them, um, you know, but they're not, maybe they'll gain momentum, but they're not, uh, you know, I, I've seen that Jacob Hornberger's running. Uh, he was a Mises Caucus favorite, uh, did not get it done last time, but maybe this time. Um, Chase Oliver's running. He, I don't know if he's declared aligned with the classical Liberty Caucus, which is sort of the um, orthodox libertarian classical. You know that they're they're a little more aligned with maybe the Libertarian Party that you and I knew uh, back in the day, uh, although less radical, I think. Um, so you know, Chase is running. Chase and Jacob at this point of the declared candidates would kind of be the race. But you, you, I saw Spike Cohen say on Twitter yesterday he hasn't ruled anything out. I think if he ran for president, Spike would probably beat um, everybody because Spike is a guy that everybody likes, everybody gets along with. There's always fringe people who who hate him. Oh, he was aligned with Vermin Supreme, screw him. Or you know he's aligned with the Mises Caucus, screw him. But you know you can't look at what Spike is doing and the work that Spike is doing and go. That guy's all in for libertarian causes. He's making change. He's building a huge network through You Are the Power across the, the country that he could turn on as delegates. I don't know that Dave Smith is doing that work. Dave Smith is, you know, on Joe Rogan and is a popular mouthpiece. But when you want to win a convention, you've got to have delegates. Um, Justin Amash has always talked about it. I don't think Justin Amash would run. I think Dave, Spike... Justin, people who are going to spend serious time and have a serious shot, they have to look at it and go, can I win president? Can I make a difference? And you have to look at a, a national party that has divided itself. Oregon, a few years ago, divided into two parties. It lasted for almost a decade before it was finally resolved. That's happening in half a dozen to a dozen state parties across the country between Mises Aligned and uh, the organization that was there before. And ballot access is nowhere in the discussion. I mean, Angela McArdle is saying ballot access is not our focus. 
Well, you can't effectively run for president like Austin. Would you actually run for president again if you knew you were only going to be on like 40 ballots? Would you waste your time? No, he's shaking his no, head. No, I, but I mean, I don't think I'd run for I don't I don't think I'd run run for president again. It, overall, it's a pretty thankless job. Yeah, you you and that's exactly right. Like if you're Justin Amash and you're looking at 2020, you go, look, this organization's in disarray. I'm not going to get to go around the country, shake hands and kiss babies because of COVID restrictions. Why do I want to run for president for this organization? It's not a crazy oh, the, thought. The LP turned on him. Right. What was it? What was amazing is that the LP quickly turned against Justin Amash, even though he kind of sacrificed everything, his entire yeah. career, so that he could go and lift the Libertarian Party up. And then they immediately turned on him and 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 threw him to the, the dogs. If, if you're mean, Dave Smith, it, up. it was yeah. If you're Dave Smith, you've got a great life. You get to go, do cool yeah. things. You're doing, you know, Legion of Skanks. You're doing, uh, you know, your podcast. You're going on Joe Rogan. Like, you've got a young family. Why would you want to put your family through that at this point for this organization? Oh, yeah. Even if you control the organization, it's going to be a horrible experience. You know, if you're Spike and you're making a difference with your organization, why go support an organization that isn't going to make a difference, that is going to punish you for for doing anything for it? It's just a it's it's worse than when you did it. And it was a thankless, horrible job a decade ago when you did it. God, that's true. But geez, almost a decade ago go um pucho over in the live stream says adam kokesh always runs man you remember adam kokesh uh adam adam you know remember when adam was the biggest problem in the libertarian party taking a gun to the cap to the capital (laughs) (laughs) i remember those days and man everybody just wanted to lift him up as like the savior of libertarianism and things like that and then he just kind of like flamed out and disappeared and it just some feels sometimes, Chris, like we're just scattered to the four winds, you know, like I don't know that we ne- you know, we don't need a messiah to come and to lead our people out of the desert, but we certainly are wandering in the wilderness. No, we need principled libertarians that read, that understand what they're talking about. I think every libertarian should start a podcast. I know it's cliche. I know everybody wants to make fun of it, but doing a podcast and talking on the air uh, to your small circle of friends makes you smarter. I know so much more from doing this for the last 10 years. You know, I I started this and I have to learn something every week. I have to like constantly pay attention and wrestle with my ideas. I I'm not a certain person. I do admire like the quality that somebody somebody like a Dave Smith has where they're just very certain of everything. That's not me. I wrestle with things a lot more. Um but I'm wrestling with it. Uh you know, it's I I think we just need people who are out knocking on doors, who are maybe being a treasurer, who are participating in the activity. This is the benefit of the Libertarian Party. If you run for office, you may not win, but you're going to the county council meetings. You're going to the city council meetings. You're going, stop running for Congress. Stop running for Senate. Stop running for the big tier part. Like, like run for township trustee. Because you, you know, back my experience back in the day when I was executive director of the Libertarian Party of Indiana, you know, every county that I went in for those four years had a hundred million dollar project. And, you know, in a couple counties, by showing up with a video camera and putting the meetings on YouTube, they were able to kill those projects. Uh, You can make a tremendous uh, splash in small rural counties where you can start to become the second party. You know, here in Indiana, Don Rainwater ran for governor on the most reasonable 
right? COVID, the one that I articulated, you know, look, the role of the government through COVID is to give you accurate statistics. And then everyone else needs to make their own decision as to what they do. You can't shut down people's businesses. You can't restrict movement. You can't, you know, ch- remember then they, I remember seeing this orange fencing around a park, you know, when it was April and everybody knew at that point that you could be outside and you weren't going to, you were going to be fine. You know, it's just all these stupid ideas, but he won 32 counties, I think, out of 92 counties here in Indiana. Like in rural Indiana, the Libertarian Party of Indiana is the second party, which means that they deserve to be on all the boards. They deserve to be appointed to commissions. They deserve to be heard because the Democrats have no organization there. Some of these counties, the Libertarian Party of Indiana has an organization and the Democrats don't. Um, you know, in a city like Indianapolis, it's pretty hopeless, right? It's pretty difficult when you've got a red state, blue city where the Republicans are getting their butts kicked by 70% and barely able to function as a Republican party, but they have money, right? But in these rural counties, you can make a real difference in terms of influencing these politicians. And that's where the crazy populist Republicans are that are going to be seduced by the common good conservatism or the Orban style of politics. It's already happening. And principled libertarians that know what they're talking about can save these politicians from just becoming a bigger, bigger government version of Republican politics. Chris, I know you're a busy man and you've got a family and it's been exciting to watch you uh, sort of you build up your life and things like that on the margins. As I see on social media, you posting about your lovely wife and your family. And uh, I'm really happy for you that you found that happiness, Chris. And and thanks for being so generous with your time with us this morning, because people really do get excited when you're going to be on the show because you have tremendous insight and I respect you greatly. I'd like to give you the opportunity uh, right now before I let you go to share anything that you'd like to let the listeners know. Well, likewise to you, love watching uh, you and your beautiful wife uh, build uh, compounds and and do all kinds of cool content. So likewise to you. Yeah, please check me out, chris-spangle.com. You can find all my projects there. Chris Spangle Show on the We Are Libertarians podcast network. We've got a bunch of different podcasts that you can check out. Just type in We Are Libertarians and you'll find all our shows. There you go. That's Chris Spangle. Type in We Are Libertarians. You can find his shows. He's the host of the Chris Spangle Show. Chris, come back and see us soon, and congratulations on your upcoming child. Anytime, AP. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.